Welcome to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, content director at Money 2020 by day and your host by night. Folks, tomorrow is the day. We open Money 2020 for another FinTech Family Reunion. But that reunion is going to be missing someone very important to our tribe, Simon Taylor. You know Simon, you love Simon. Luckily, Kristen and I got the chance to quickly suss out if he is in fact human last week in between me specifically jumping from prep call to prep call to prep call, literally between prep calls. So it's a little bit shorter. I hope this helps you not miss Simon quite as much and gets you going and ready to roll for money 2020. This episode is brought to you by FS Vector, the firm for innovative financial services. And without further ado, here's Simon. We are here with a man, a legend, maybe fintech personified himself. But who? Who are we talking about? We're talking about a man with some credits. We're talking about a man that's done some things. And we're going to talk about those things and we're going to tell you what it is first. So he started. He was a business analyst at one point. From there, he moved on to being a project manager. He was an innovation lead at TSIS. From there, VP mobile delivery, blockchain R&D VP in 2016. That even existed at Barclays. And then moved on. Well, not moved on. Actually, he's still there at the advisory council member and founder at the Global Digital digital finance. And the reason that most of us know him isn't what he's doing right now, but will be what he's doing right now, is his previous life at 11FS as a co-founder and head of ventures. But today, he is head of strategy and content at Sardine, the one, the only, Simon Taylor. Simon, welcome to the show, my friend. How you doing? I am so grateful to be here with you too. This is my favorite, favorite podcast. Bon on. You guys bring out the weird. I am so thoroughly excited to be joined by your weirdnesses and see if I can get involved in some way, shape or form. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a Friday afternoon as we're recording this. It's sunny in the UK. Could I be better? I'm just grateful. I love it. And the co-hostess with the most dosest. I cannot today. My brain doesn't work. Kristen Anderson, how we doing? You guys, this is this is such a fun one. I feel like Simon and, and Zach and I, like this is the best podcast because we just get to talk to our friends. We just get to like learn about them and ask those questions. You know how you work with people or you sort of like know them from the industry for a long time and you realize you don't actually know anything about them. You're, you're like, what, what, who are you? Like, what, where do you come from? And it, it informs so much of how you build relationships with people. So this is just such a fun opportunity. I am, I am so glad to have you here. I'm, I'm excited to not do the thing that you do at conferences, which is the, uh, when do you get in? Uh, okay. So where are you coming in from? <laughs> it's just like, here's some other content to have. <laughs> that's not about the flight I just took and where I came. Or the weather. Sure is oh, sunny yeah, yeah. out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, it's dry. Do you have chapstick? <laughs> Anyone who's going to Money 2020, please please get your chapstick ready. So good tee up. The reason that we are actually having this conversation right now is because this man, this legend, this Simon Taylor of ours is not going to be at Money 2020 this year. And we wanted to do this specifically to put it out so that folks could during the show on the on the way there, whatever it is, this will come out before the show so that, you know, we can can have it in folks ears on the planes, on the trains and the automobiles on the way to Money 2020 since you won't be there. 
I, I I feel the love for that because my FOMO is off the charts and you're just giving me a big old cuddle. It's like, I'm going to miss all of you. I'm going to not be there. I always described myself earlier in my career as like the f kid with their face pressed against the glass of the toy store, wanting to get into FinTech and Money 2020 and everything else. And that kid is still in me in a massive, massive way. So you guys giving me this is is like the, the next best thing. And I have a reasonable excuse. Yeah, I, th I was gonna say, it's a pretty good reason, isn't it? <laughs> it's a great reason. Uh, Simon, do you wanna unveil that? I'm having my second child in the not too distant. Well, I'd say I am. My wife is is having, and I'm I'm supporting uh, the the birth of our second child during that same period of time. So, Yay! Uh, it, I'm wow. Just, I mean, Kristen, you and I could like nerd out about being parents on the parenting <laughs> weird stuff forever. Uh, I need tips on going from one to two. Everybody says it's impossible. It's exponential. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's exponential. I'm gonna die. Um, all of that, but I'm I'm looking forward to it because at least now I'm kind of out of the phase where I like immediately poke them in the eye and break them. You know, like I'm I'm not dealing with something that's completely broken. So I'm excited for this. You know, I'm, I'm excited to be vaguely capable, which is unusual for me. How, how old is the first? She's two and a half. Okay, yeah, that, that's pretty close to mine. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know everything you think you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just tired. I'm just tired, y'all. Two is two is tiring, but. Uh, yeah, Zach, do you want me to jump in? I have I have a first question that I want to lay the foundation with because you know everybody knows Simon, everybody knows fintech brain food. Uh, newsletter plug: fintech brain food, excellent newsletter. Uh, we we cite it all the time in my in my day life. Um, but my first question, I just like I realized I couldn't figure out a lot of the questions I wanted to ask you about your childhood because I know nothing about your childhood other than what I am assuming by your accent is that you were born and raised in the United Kingdom. But like, tell me if that's even wrong. Like, I was born in a town called Halifax, Halifax West Yorkshire. Uh, the accent where I grew up sounds like if you've watched Lord of the Rings, you know, everybody from the north, I sounded a lot more like Jon Snow. It was cold up north. You mean Game of Thrones? So, yeah, 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 Game of Thrones. Okay, okay. Did I say Lord of the Rings? You did. I was like, whoa, I don't even know. But yeah, I got, yeah. You're a tired See, parent I'm a too. Large language model. <laughs> I, I, I hallucinate words. I knew what I meant and I knew you knew what I meant, but the wrong words came out. That's, that's a whole thing. You got a two and a half year old. I get it. <laughs> oh, who was up a lot last night. Tummy hurts. Anyway, uh, that's a whole thing. So north of England, uh, lived there till 2013, uh, which is when I moved to London and did what everybody does when they migrate to London, which is go, oh, I, I don't know this place. I will move to Notting Hill because that's where the movie was and then spent far too much money on rent and, and then tried to figure it out from there. So, yeah, that's me. Uh, why, why'd you move to London? Was it for work for a particular job or is that when you started? In yeah, that was the Barclays move. Uh, that was the like uh, I got a 
Uh, I got a job. I should probably move to London. I was 29 at the time, though. Uh, so this was like, I've always been a super risk-averse kid. I was always, always, I had a job. Um, I left school at 16. You know, like I, I got a job because I didn't want the debt from a university. Like I was that kid. So all the way through, I was never going to move and take the risk until I had a job and I could figure out where I was going to live. So I've always been like on the more cautious end of the spectrum. Uh, so yeah, that was that was uh, that was that, and also, <laughs> so I'm going to sound really bad. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time, so I knew I wasn't going alone, striking out by myself. I was going to have somebody with me. Then, after spending a little bit of time in London, we realised we wanted different things from life. But that was actually a really big part of my calculation of like, I'm I'm actually going to know people there. At least it's one person. Like I'm I'm kind of safe. I'm all right. I'm going to get to go do this. What so, was yeah, the I'm, job I'm like, at 16? Yeah, wait, hold on. Like, I'm like, I'm nine days out from money 2020 and I have to like rewind. Did I just hear you say you left school at 16? Have you not, do you not have a, uh, well, I don't know what it is in um, your world, but did you not go to uni as you say, I guess? I did not go to university. Never went. No, I did I, not I, know so that. You know, like there's three questions, uh, where you're coming in from, uh, when did you get in and where did you go to school? And I have to tell everybody, like, I didn't go to university. I left school at 16. And I. it's really nice to be able to do that at scale now and just go, go listen to that. <laughs> Here are the answers to your questions. I got in last night. I'm tired. Also, I left school at 16. So in the UK, that's kind of a normal thing um, that you can... It, it's it's more common anyway that you would leave at 16. Um, you can leave at 18 and, and 21 after university as well, but it's just uh, it's it's less rare that somebody would do it. But no, my my dad worked for British Telecom, which is like your AT and T Verizon equivalent. And he put an apprenticeship um, sort of application under my nose, age 16. And I knew two things about myself at age 16. One, I wanted to do software engineering or something like it because uh, I was into video games. So obviously, I was going to make video games if I learned this skill. And two, uh, that I'm kind of lazy by default. So if I go to university, I'm going to end up where I was if I ended up with this job in the first place, which is a job in software engineering, but I'm going to have debt too. So it's probably the smartest decision I've made was to get that job. And they taught me the fundamentals of software engineering, uh, but also like, yeah, just... I, I went from going to school and because we have school uniforms as a default in the UK, putting on a shirt and tie every day and going to school to like having the summer break. And then the next day or more or less, you know, in September, I'm putting on a shirt and tie and I'm going to this other place and now I'm doing software all day. So it was it was it was not that weird, weirdly. You know, I got I got a side note, which is that the best software engineers are usually a little bit lazy. I got to say the best ones because they don't want to make things hard. And like, if you're like, if you're super hardworking and like to just crank, like software engineering may not be for you because the ones you want are the ones who are going to look for ways to do things easier. <laughs> don't hate automate. I'm, I'm about exactly. that. I really am. If I can outsource an automated thing, a hundred percent. And I think that probably comes from the fact that I'm terrible at most things, except this weird fintech thing. So if I can outsource and automate it, then at least I don't have to be embarrassed. But like, yeah, I <laughs> I got told off at, at a job at British Telecom because I built a little macro um, that if the team knew that it existed or like the manager, my boss's boss's boss, 
then we didn't need this team anymore and they didn't want anybody to say it. But I just found it really dull doing data entry. So I just built a macro to do it so that I could go build little <laughs> video games on the side. This is what I'm saying. The best engineers are ones who like don't want to be bored. What were you what were you like with money as a kid, Simon? Like it sounds it sounds like a big part of why you made those decisions came from some like actual understanding of debt and the the impact thereof over the rest of your life. Like was that was that something you were conscious of and have been conscious of kind of throughout? What's been your like no, relationship it was, there? It was almost like a gut fail thing for me. Um, so I, I'm still not good uh, with money. I, I mean, grew up sort of low to mid working class. Um, my parents always worked. We always had food on the table, but we lived in some crappy areas. Um, you know, Christmas was always great, but it was always on a credit card type of type of thing. And I look back at that in my like late teens, early 20s. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be that. I want to like make more than I spend, but I would never build a savings habit. So it was there and I knew that it was happening badly around me, uh, but also it just sort of made sense to me. I remember uh, I'd be 19 years old and watching the Google IPO and I couldn't find a website where I could buy stock in Google because I just that just made sense. This thing was going to do well. Like, duh, the internet. Duh, this is going to do well, searching the internet. it I don't know. It just made sense to me. And so, but then I couldn't. Like, online brokerage didn't really exist in the UK in 2003. And I got stuck. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pick up the phone to somebody. I got to deal. Oh, what number do I look for? I don't, do I have to go to a telephone book for this? Ugh, that's not fun. That's not nice. So money was there, um, but it was always, um, you know, like there are introverts, extroverts, and I'd describe myself as a content introvert. Like if something's interesting, you cannot stop me running through walls to just like be there and get involved. Like I have to be involved in it in some way, shape or form. Um, and money isn't interesting until it's interesting. You know, like it, it's not like um, I'm not interested in the number going up or down or the spreadsheet. I'm interested in like the how the system works and the mechanics and the ooh, that's where i get excited okay so i have to jump in here because you're the first person that has ever described my interest in fintech the way that i wish i could describe it because like like i feel i feel so seen right now simon i feel so seen <laughs> like this literally <laughs> no one else has ever been able to fucking say what you just said and it, like that resonates with me so much because i am a I'm not a terrible investor, but I just don't give a shit. I'm not like a ter like I'm not that bad at it, but it's just like fucking boring. Like I try and tune into market updates on, you know, like I, I try and listen to as many like podcasts as possible, right? I think we all do. Um, and sometimes I listen to the things that I feel like I'm supposed to give a shit about, you know, like the interest rates are doing this. And like on that one, I like struggled through it and because I'm fascinated to your point by the system. But it's like as soon as we get into like my dollars going up and down somehow i care less than like the macro economy gdp angle on it like i don't know what like are we broken are we not selfish enough because i'm selfish as shit in other portions of my life like what's the deal i'm just privileged as fuck like that's what it is i'm just <laughs> that's the quote <laughs> I, but uh, but look the white British male gets to make money doing something he loves with a family who loves him, um, and it gets really, really interested in this topic, and people want to pay him for it. Like, what could you anybody ever want from life more than that? I am so unbelievably grateful for it. And it's uh, the number goes up, the number goes down. Don't 
it's funny. Um, I had bosses in the past who really, really wanted me to be a sales guy because, as you can probably tell, when I get uh, passionate about something, like it, it's like the 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 steam trains, the locomotive, it's left the station. Like it's going to smash through walls. It's going to happen. I'm going to convince everybody in this room about this thing because I believe in it so much. But if it's only to do it to get the high score. You've admit, not only have you lost my interest, you've made me so disinterested, I don't want to be in the room anymore. Because now it's about the high school. It's not about the content anymore. It's not about the purpose. It's not about the mission. It's not about the meaning. So I have to always focus in on that. And I think like there are KPIs and external metrics that are useful. Like I can see at scale, if I've made an argument well through the blog, that one resonated with this part of my audience. That did well. I'm learning. That's a feedback loop. But I'm learning what they're interested in. I'm not making a number on a spreadsheet change. Yeah, you know, it's first of all, it's very wholesome to hear to hear your perspective on your your own uh, goodness. Especially, I know when you're tired and you have a kid who's up all night with a tummy ache, it can be hard to feel like you're super super lucky. But first of all, super wholesome. Thank you for that. That definitely made my day better. But second, I think you kind of hit on an interesting point that like throughout my career, I've really like struggled to find ways to identify that characteristic of curiosity. And like, it, it's, it's different for different people. But I think the thing that you have been rewarded for in your career, likely more than anything else, is the ability to be curious. And in my experience, managing people and leading teams, like you cannot teach it. Like I have never figured out, like if someone doesn't inherently have curiosity about like how something works or why something works, and different people have different curiosities, but it's one that like, that is the thing that like, I feel like I have been rewarded for in my career. And that like, I think you t- and probably Zach as well, but like, you can't create curiosity in another human. And like, it's very difficult to be successful if you don't have that like intense curiosity of like, I, I need to know more. Let me like scratch a little bit more about this. Like, let me ask one more question. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, tell me how that works. And like, not being afraid to be seen as like uninformed about it. Oh, and I was the naughty kid for a long time. No, tell me more. Tell me more. What was the biggest thing you got in trouble for? Saying the word word, um, weirdly, I got pulled up on disciplinary for it because um, there was a meeting with some um, very large clients and very large bosses in a company that I worked for at one point uh, where, you know, somebody said something and it really resonated with me. Like I was like, yeah. And I just went word like that. But it at the time, that was considered like super unprofessional in a corporate environment, right? So in the context, they were correct to say that it probably I hadn't read the room and I didn't know my audience. But also, like that was one of the disciplinary things. Um, and I would always kind of like just not do the I don't know, I always wanted to run off over here. Like whilst ever there was a job to do and I was relatively junior. And I was like, yeah, but we could change the strategy of the company by doing this. And I, shut up, dude. That's not your job right now. Get on with this and learn this Not skill. knowing your swim lane. And I, and I, yeah. I know that one. Know, I've like, gotten busted for that. <laughs> and and I, I think there's a lot of that in everybody in their early 20s, but that was just me. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a really common thread. It, it is it is like tied to that curiosity thing. But a lot of people who, when they're young, have these experiences of like being fired because you're like not working on what you're supposed to be working on or like pursue or like, you know, just going in the wrong place or someone being like, yo, like you're not doing what I need you to do. It, it's often like a reflection of someone who maybe later on is going to find their spot. It's the same thing as like the kids who are nerds in school are often the ones who go on to be really successful. The people who in their early career are like too busy worried about making the companies succeed uh, not necessarily doing their spreadsheets are often the ones who go on to run companies. <laughs> I should say like some of the bosses I had at the time and some of the people that were my supporters taught me an awful lot and did see the potential. I'm sure you you guys both have the same. There's always there's always the the mentor that kind of sees it and goes, oh, I mean, again, privilege. You know, like lots of uh, men in their middle ages saw a young man with potential and went, yes, you have potential. I will invest my time and energy in you. So drowning in that privilege. But that, you know, I think sometimes that chip on my shoulder, the reason I have a weekly rant is the amount of people that told me I was wrong and I was stupid for saying it. And, oh, my God, you bought Facebook stock at IPO. You're going to lose so much money. And, oh, my God, you want to do APIs for real-time payments in 2013. That's stupid. The future's mobile. Like Everyone that said that, that's still there. And my rant and the energy and the fuel behind it is like, no, listen to me, please. <laughs> this could be so cool if we just... So that kid's still in there in a big way. I have to... Okay, so I, I need both of your opinion. The, the word thing I found <laughs> hilarious and I it brings up a thing for me, which I need both of your opinions on. So I was at, a, I was at my previous company, which is the thing. Um, and I was on a, this was during COVID and we were on like a group, uh, all hands meeting and we were going around and I was on the partnerships team. So I was, I was giving, I had a, I think a couple of people from the development team had been on, on one of the calls. Cause I found out after joining the company, that partnerships in Silicon Valley slash SF actually just means sales. Um, should have known that before I joined, but here we go. Um, so I was on one of my partnerships calls, <laughs> sales calls um, that I didn't know I was getting myself into. I had two of the developers on the call and they handled it really, really well. We had an all hands that next week and I shared that those two developers were wildly helpful on the call. But how I phrased it was that those two develop, and I feel like a douchebag for the way I phrased it, but I'm curious about the actual like outcome and what you think of this. So I said they were killing it or some, something along the lines of like, e either they killed it on that call or man, they really murdered it with that potential partner, something along those lines. It was one of those two words. I can't remember exactly. Right after I said this, I got a slack from my CEO at the time. He said, if you could just refrain from using terminology like murdering it or killing it on all hands meetings, that would be very appreciated. I'm curious about both of your perspective about that. Here's what I found, <laughs> just as a zoomed out observation. The stuff I used to get told off for is now the stuff that makes me successful. Uh, Agree completely. So sometimes it, it's just uh, that is the universe's way of telling you you're not in the right spot to be you and play to your strengths. But I think in that context, especially for a startup, like, Surely everybody would know kind of what you meant. That would be that. Whereas, like, mine was one where I really had not read the room. Everybody else was suits and gray hair. And but it was the word word. 
It was the word yeah. word, Simon. I still disagree. I feel like the word word is plenty acceptable. I, I don't think you messed up there. Yeah, but in 2010 in the United Kingdom, uh, in a room full of suits, I it just culturally, it, it, I don't know. It just, it was, I, I don't think it was, yeah. I, okay, I, I I lived in London in 2010. Um, and I was in grad was just school, walking so around. Just word. I was word, listening for the word, 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 word. word. <laughs> no, I, I lived in London in 2010. Uh, I lived in uh, Dalston, if you're familiar. Um, okay, so it's like nice now, but in 2010, yeah, it, it was, was crunchy. <laughs> yeah, that is, I was going to say dodgy, but yeah, yeah, it sounds like that's the same word. But uh, yeah, it's very hip, but it was like, it was very on the edge, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I guess I was I wasn't that far from like the the financial district and the center of all that sort of stuff. But I I guess I didn't realize that even at that time it was like the word that like that would sort of get you like actually disciplined. Like maybe people might look down their nose at you, but I feel like it's still a little it's surprising to me that someone would. The second worst thing I got disciplinary for the, the second worst. Was, the first was is not getting a doctor's note in on time because I was in hospital recovering from surgery because I'd had testicular cancer. That one, that one really stuck with me. I was like, oh, you're going to pull me up for disciplinary for this? They realized that error later, and that's why I no longer work at that company. But Whoa. my goodness, yeah, that was fun. Whoa. That's Whoa. crazy. Also, I didn't know that you had testicular cancer at any point. That's also just a fun fact to throw at us. Yeah, I had surgery, right? Like, I caught it so early that people who have chemo have cancer. Like, I am, um, again, talk about drowning in privilege. I had a thing, and I had an identity crisis in my early 20s, like a lot of men have. But all of that was really formative and useful. Like, it it turned me into a, a better person, I think, if, if anything. Whereas... The doctor's note incident really made me think about like who do I want to work with? Like these company structures aren't perfect. You know what? What am I going to be when I grow up? And it was actually leaving that you know, between then and financial services. That's kind of when. So what would this be? Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Global financial crisis. Early days of Facebook. Twitter's on the horizon. I'm getting really curious about technology, and I then landed a job at a company called Tesis, which is in sort of payments ish, but I didn't know anything about it. I was a telco guy, and then I'm there, and I see this guy Dave Birch and this guy Chris Skinner and these other folks like Jim Maroos and this Ron Shevlin guy who's really funny talking about Cybos and InnoTribe and this fintech thing, and I was like. Oh, these are my people, but now I'm the kid with my face pressed against the glass of the toy store. And so it, it kind of the cycle repeated. Uh, so that it these things are uh, sometimes just meant to be. Now let's take a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor, FS Vector. Relationships, relationships, one more time relationships. One of the hardest parts of building a meaningful company in the world of finance is understanding what's actually happening in Washington with agencies, the administration, everything going on on Capitol Hill. Who do you actually go to for what? In the world of government in general, it is just confusing. We may want to think we're disconnected from the world of politics, building companies, but if we've seen anything this year, it's that we're not. 
We are very tied to it. The ability to pick up the phone and get an opinion from a decision maker in this world, in the world of politics, is worth its weight in gold. Those aren't calls just anyone can make. This is why I recommend FS Vector. Those are the relationships they have. They have partners and senior advisors that have been cultivating those relationships for decades. Some of them have even been on the show. You may know John Betchia. You may know Amy Friend. You may know folks like that. They've been around. They've started building those relationships before they needed them, which is exactly what I recommend anyone do with their government affairs slash policy strategy. Don't wait until it's too late. Get advisors, good ones even, good ones especially, only good ones, and the good ones are at FS Vector. Reach out to FS Vector, go into that contact us, and write in all caps at the top of the form, Zach sent me. FSVector.com and tell him Zach sent you. I don't think we've talked about this on any other podcast, but I, I had cancer in 2008. Uh, but I had skin cancer. So also like you, I feel exceptionally lucky because it was found, it was removed. It was, you know, it was called a, a squamous cell carcinoma. It's, it's like a slightly less bad melanoma, slightly worse than basal cell for those of you who track those things. Um, but yeah, it does give you an identity crisis in your early twenties. I was in college still. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that shapes the way you think about the world. And the, the one story I'll share about that, that like, I was 20, 20, I was 20 years old. And, uh, the doctor made a joke. Cause I kind of asked, I was like, am I, am I going to be okay? You know? And, and he was like, yeah, we're just, we're going to, we're going to remove it. It's fine. We have to like take some, it was on my back. And he goes, yeah, it's just, you know, your career as a swimsuit model is probably over. Ha ha. And like, it was supposed to be this thing that was like a joke. And obviously I am not a swimsuit model, but it was like enough to like at 20 to feel like, you've disfigured my body. And now I like don't have this career in front, which obviously it wasn't going to be a swimsuit model, but it just like, it like hit me so hard that like you have this moment where you're just like, oh my God, everything has changed. Like I, like it, those very real moments. And again, on the scale of having cancer, I feel very, very lucky. And it was not, you know, didn't turn into anything bigger, but uh, yeah, you really start to question. And I can't even imagine having a company sort of like, scold you in in the midst of that sort of an experience and like man anybody out there who's like a boss or works anywhere near people management like learn these lessons man like don't do this stuff (laughs) yeah i think that was a systemic thing rather than any one individual but still uh yeah you're you're so right and I, i think on that identity crisis thing Uh, you're spot on. And it's so interesting you had that shared experience because I I found myself sort of a year later, um, I'd started growing my hair almost as a a rebellion, but there I was sort of with like long hair. Um, It's the uh, one of the first times I actually went to Vegas um, and I'm finding myself there. I didn't have a job. I was living off the the sort of severance package I got, which was very generous from the last place, funny enough. Um, And then sort of in Vegas, I'm sort of hanging out and in January, if any of you know that's CES, but there's also another conference in January. And so this that was a wild time for me, uh, kind of experiencing everything, identity crisis. And the other thing with testicular cancer in particular is it affects your hormones in a really crazy way. So identity crisis, young man, early 20s, like that just throws you all over the place. Like it really, really does. So it's like now you're try- trying to appear really masculine, but I'm 
am I masculine? Am I still masculine? Like, what's the world want from me? You know, that's a whole thing. I mean, I still struggle with that every single day, testicular cancer or not. Like, that's still just my brain back and forth. Like, I, dude, the answer on is the lifting. Reg. The answer is lifting. It's the cause of and solution to all male problems. You, you and you don't mean that. Like, I, you don't hey, mean that sarcastically more, either. More about that. No, I, I mean that genuinely. I, I mean, I was butchering a Homer Simpson quote, but it's actually the truth. <laughs> it's like it's actually the answer. Uh, for my mental health, the gym is therapy. It really, really is. If I push blood into a muscle, I feel fundamentally better about not having slept last night, about any anxieties. They all just disappear. Movement is the first principle of, of happiness. Oh, I love, oh my gosh, you're full of these little gems today. I know you're always full of gems, but I feel like these are very like life, life gems instead of just fintech gems. Do you know, it's just the British accent. I'm just jumbling. (laughs) I literally said Lord of the Rings and thought I meant I was saying Game of Thrones. So just take it, take that for what it's worth. Dude, I'm so curious how many listeners even would have caught it. I think I'm I'm like moving just I'm just detail oriented enough today because I got six hours straight last night. So I, I'm like on it <laughs> or just enough of a nerd either way. <laughs> OK, yeah, I do actually really love Lord of the Rings. And so I, I mean, I like Game of Thrones, too, but like I like have actually read Lord of the Rings like a like a like a real person, not just seeing the movies. So. Yeah. So we just we just crossed 30 minutes and I know we're going to finish the actual interview. But Kristen, at this point, can we just say that Simon's human and move on from that piece based on? Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel like we don't even need an hour. An hour. <laughs> I know. Like, do we really do we really even need to, like, assess the, the level of humanness? Not even at all. But OK, but, you know, our other mini game, which I think is a very good one to ask. Given your background and stuff, I think Are You Frugal is actually going to be a very, very interesting game with you. And now it's time for Are You Frugal? Let's start with coffee order. What's your coffee order or tea order? And how often are you going out for coffee versus or tea versus making it at home? And maybe this is where we start to get into some of the U.S. versus British uh, disconnection. I've got my question. That's a teacup. Listeners, he is is presenting a a teacup. Chamomile. Oh my goodness. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Is that how we say that? But that's also because no! next to me are countless cans of Pepsi Max. Um, so you no longer have this in the United States. You butchered it and called it Pepsi Zero and made it taste funny. You have Coke Zero, which is a close facsimile. Um, but uh, I am infamous for drinking between 10 and 14 of these in a given day. Um, and I order them by the crate load. Um, so I will have anywhere between six and eight delivered to the house on a given week, uh, depending on how much I've been at home or whatever else. So my coffee order, if I have hold to on. be in a coffee <laughs> hold, shop. Hold on, hold on, hold your horses. He's like moving on. <laughs> Time out. He's you don't just get to breeze. Yeah, you don't get to breeze through the rest of that if you're doing Charlie Munger numbers on your fucking Pepsi Maxes. That's <laughs> nuts. <laughs> That's nuts! For, no wonder you're lifting. You need. You got to do something with all that extra glucose. That's wild, dude. It's not. It's sugar free. I'm all about the sugar free stuff. Okay. So, and I have, I have read more journals about aspartame than most people on earth because everybody goes, 
aspartame's bad for you, right? And I'm like, okay, please go look at the peer-reviewed medical science. Please just go look at it, and then let's have this conversation. Because eh, well, tell no, us. compared it- to things that you're doing every day, it's not that bad. So. Yeah, sedentary lifestyle and not lifting things is probably worse for you. A hundred percent. Well, I'm going to yeah. eat a salad and sit here and feel superior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to I be fair, was I was thinking in my I head that it. I was going to get a salad for lunch, and I was like, okay, at least I'm getting a salad. Uh, I, okay, so now I don't okay, feel so superior old. for it because I don't lift things. <laughs> I lift my children. All right, so <laughs> I did want to make a point on that. Um I get chastised by my my wonderful wife um, occasionally for for uh, like definitely yoloing a little bit occasionally, but I am more on the spectrum of fuck it, let's just buy it. Um, but the, I also don't do enough like just good buying of stuff around the house and all of that. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like I almost spend nothing on the things that cost a lot of people money and an obscene amount of money on things that people don't pay any mind to. So my Pepsi Max budget is probably like insane. But <laughs> compared to everybody, like I'm not spending a lot on clothes really. It's all stuff okay, that's well, for the last 10 years. So first of all, Zach and I are the ones who get to decide if you're frugal. <laughs> But your opinion does count. Your opinion does count. But my question is, this, this is the question I really want to ask. We haven't we haven't asked this one before. But as a parent, my frugal question is like, how much do you splurge on like the kid stuff? Like the monitors and the cribs Ooh. and the like all that sort of stuff. Do you do you go high end or are you like budget Amazon me the lowest cost thing we can get because they're kids and they're gonna break it or ruin it or be, you know, out of it in a year? What's your what's your philosophy on like the parenting shit? Depends on the category clothing uh for the most part if we can even with the first child if we can get it second hand and it's in good shape we will um but uh if not there's obviously stuff you have to buy new and and kind of they're going to grow out of it pretty quick and fortunately we know we're having a a daughter second so there's a good hand-me-downs um that's all exciting so there's like stuff will fit it's kind of good um when it comes to the toys again second hand or facebook marketplace or pick it up for free a lot of the time for just the stuff, but also people gift you so much. The exception to this is really nice, timeless wooden thingy. I don't know what that thingy, that thingy might be like a rocking horse. That thingy might be like, I don't know what the toy is for like a little kitchen. Like that would have secondhand value, but it'd look cute and other kids could use it. Like that is kind of, yeah, you'll spend uh, a couple hundred pounds on something like that quite happily, but it's like you know that that's just makes for a nice Christmas. It's kind of cute. Uh, I don't know who I'll be in five, ten years time when they're asking for stuff. Yeah, but yeah. that's that's where we are for now. It's like <laughs> less is more. There's enough stuff and stickers and clutter that comes with kids anyway, and people buy stuff, which is lovely, but. You need a bigger house just for all the stuff that to on top of the stuff with the the stuff. <laughs> I need to Marie Kondo every day of my life. I know, life. I know. I, uh, I I am in my my younger daughter's room right now. That's my office. Is my younger daughter's room, um, and and the stuff is an issue. But okay, one particular item I need your take on for your expense no. preferences. The baby monitors. Do you go the installed video camera, high security, like Fort Knox type monitor, or is it like a walkie-talkie, or is it like no it was, monitor and you're just like next door with like super low grade video? Because I want to know if the kid's falling out of bed. I want to know if they're in pain, and I want to be able to sort of make that out. 
But I also, I don't need 4K visuals for that. Like I, I have eyes I can see and I can hear the thing. So, you know, like usually there would be some sort of screamer pain, but uh, <laughs> the wonderful thing of like the global supply chain right now is you can get a decent enough little video on something kind of, you know, 40, 50 pounds. That, that's, that's all right. It's all right. I... I do, I do the, I do cheap on monitors. I do expensive on a lot of other things because I'm like an anxious mom, and I'm like, well, but like, what if there's coatings on these plastics that like give them cancer? So oh, I like no, buy organic more than like is probably necessary because I'm just like anxious. But for the monitors, I actually have a very strong preference against video. And the reason why is I will not say the name, but last year at Money 2020, so my last apartment in New York was small, so we didn't need a monitor at all. Now we're in a bigger house, so we need a little bit of ability here. But last year at Money 2020, I watched a woman using her telephone to watch her husband put her child to bed. And she was like judging him. And I got so horrified at like how bad I would be if I had video oversight into like my child's nighttime activities that I was like, I don't want to know. I want them to have privacy. I want them to be their own little kid. So we don't do any video monitor. And we might be the only parents in 2023 who do not video monitor our children. Do you know, uh, the passive parenting is a thing. Oh my God. If you can't see it, mm. it can't hurt you. Uh -huh. um, and it's so much easier <laughs> if there's just one of you than two of you. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole topic. She was like in Las Vegas and was like, oh no, he's doing bedtime wrong. And I was like, no, 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 man, don't look. <laughs> don't look, look away, look away. I was so curious how money 2020 was going to get like, I was like, Kristen, how are you going to bring this full circle? That is wild. That is wild. It was at money 2020. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's you're pretty frugal. Simon, I got to say, if you bought on the Facebook IPO and you do pretty well for yourself in fintech and you're buying secondhand toys and clothes, I feel like my assessment is that you are like pretty frugal. I it ain't am, over yet, but I got, I got questions. Yeah. We're, we're not done yet. Talk, talk to me about the gym experience. So are we lifting like in the garage with a kettlebell? Do we have like an Equinox membership? Like, I don't really know how that works in London either, but how does, how does that function? Yeah. So, uh, again, some of this is by, uh, proximity to my wife who lives in an area that's like, uh, was historically undervalued and now is up and coming and doing well. But we have a, a gym down the street that is every bit as equipped as an Equinox, um, but it's 40 pounds a month. It's absolutely what? That's oh, crazy. Now the, All right. Now the clientele is obviously like there's less people that are into themselves and there's less posing and there's less classes and less of all of that, but they've got less cool. Instagram. Yeah. Way less Instagram. <laughs> and there's lots more like, uh, your grandparents sort of in there. And there's that old, uh, gym rat dude. Uh, but it's not like a spit and sawdust kind of place. I do have a few things in the garage, obviously post COVID hangovers and, and, and a few bits there. Um, but no, that that's perfect for me because it's it's just well equipped. You know, kind of place with uh, five squat racks, three or four benches. But at the same time, you've got everything else you need to to go have a really great workout. It's just really well kitted out, and and I'm spoiled by that. 
You know, like I go somewhere else and people are like, if I was going to live somewhere else, I'd have to have an actual gym membership. When I lived in Notting Hill, um, I was the nearest decent gym to me was about a hundred pounds a month. Um, and this is, you know, 10 years ago. So now that would be, now you're getting into the Equinox sort of, um, ballpark, but I had no choice. It was that or like drive for an hour to get to a gym. So that was kind of more of a proximity thing. When I, I would love to pay a hundred pounds a month for Equinox. Yeah, no <laughs> shit, right? That would that's, actually. That's not what's what the pound is. doing right now? Wait, wait, wait. What is what is the pound? Where's the pound right now? I haven't I haven't looked in a while. Uh, I think it the dollar is eighty two pence, so it's like what one twenty three, uh, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it costs you one hundred twenty three, one hundred twenty four a month to have a decent gym. It was like two to one or 1.8, 1.9 to one when I lived in London. And that was not a great time to be a student. <laughs> yeah. <it's> <laughs> I was already poor. <laughs> that was a break, like looking at the state. I mean, you guys know this, but people talk about the inflation being really high in the UK and, and on fuel and food. Yeah. Okay. It kind of is. And on energy, it got pretty bad for a while, but on day to day, like, a breakfast does not cost fifty, sixty dollars for one, like at a hotel somewhere. Like the the, the kind of the gym memberships don't regularly get north of three hundred dollars. That's just really rare. You are talking about like celebrity gym with a few people. It's not one in every city kind of gym. It's where David kind of Beckham break. goes. Yeah, but is that, that, that kind is of that because of the like? Is there like less of a? I was planning to ask a different question, and we are close on time. But now I'm really curious about this. Is that because of the culture? Like to me, there's much less. Like the UK has the strongest gym culture of Europe, from my perspective. But the UK's gym culture compared to the US's gym culture is not the same in terms of what people are willing to invest, in terms of what people are even like putting time and effort into, sort of thing. So, do you think it's a cultural thing? Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think you, the US, it's just so much more about how you're seen. Like, yeah. It's no, like, my, uh, I, I, working yeah. for an American company, and uh, I've sort of said to a few people, you know, then one day maybe I move over there and blah, 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 where would I live? And I had those sort of like exploratory conversations. Um, and uh, the gym came up and everybody's like, well, you got to go to an Equinox because well, where else would you be? You got to, you got to be right. there. Like that's the place. And, the, the, and I'm like, I don't give a shit. So when I go, I've got my earphones in, but I take my glasses off because with my, I can sort of see without my glasses on, but I'm short sighted enough that I know it's a person. I just don't know who it is. <laughs> and that's perfect. <laughs> Because I don't know if you're laughing at my form. I don't know if you think I'm a complete clown. And I don't care because I've got heavy metal in my ears. I've got the inability to see. I am just in my own little world. And the only child that was a nerd is back doing the thing they enjoy now as an adult. And just in happy to be in this little zone. It's really nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's hilarious. Whenever I'm in Europe, I play this game just like walking down the street called gym or genetics. Like if somebody's jacked, I'm just like, I wonder, like, is that just pure? Like they just walk around and eat baguettes and that's they just look that way or they actually like make an effort for it. So I'm always curious. All right. We are. We're at that moment. Kristen, you know the question. What is it all about? 42. Best answer yet. 
are you going to, Kristen, are you going to force him into an actual answer? Because I think that was great. But if you want to force him into an actual answer, I, we it, can. it was, it was, it was great. But I feel like I'm going to, you know, you've had so much wisdom packed into so many little moments of this, of this chat that I like want you to say more about 42. The purpose of the movie, The Hitchhiker's Galaxy, is uh, the infinite unknowable set of questions is the point. Like, knowing the question is the hard thing. Not The answer, can it, being 42, is arbitrary. It's a stand-in for curiosity and learning and wanting to push the boundaries of, of your knowledge and, and being what's out there. And that's when I feel most alive. Uh, you know, like... the. It's funny, uh, because I can get so passionate, sometimes uh, when there's nothing to be passionate about, it's almost like, where did Simon go? Like, I, I've got like the meanest resting face from the side. I get super locked into whatever's interesting me, and I'm very bad at being a good person to people that don't have content depth. Like, I, I just want to leave. I feel awkward. I've got to get out of this conversation. Uh, feel, what do I do now? Where do I go? Uh, anxiety. Where'd you fly away. in? I'm by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go be by myself. Go 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 to the gym. Go do something by myself. But if I'm curious, then everything's possible. Nothing's impossible. So stay curious and stay weird. That's what life's about. I, and and I just find infinite joy in that. I love you, man. That's we're, such a we're great smiling. Answer. I know you guys can't yeah. see. No one can see the video, but Zach and I are smiling really big right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Yeah, stay curious. That's a beautiful way to stop it. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for listening. If you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, and all that jazz. Generally scream from the rafters about how much you love FinTech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all. Bye.